Welcome to Culturally Buzzed, a podcast where we talk about anything and everything culture in relation to your health behavior. My name is Sarah. Thank you for tuning in to another very cool episode. I just want to say that I am so glad that I get to geek out over this. <laughs> it's like the most wonderful feeling in the world to be able to just... Um, and there goes my dog. Just the one most wonderful feeling in the world to just talk about another aspect of being human. And that is taste. And a lot of the time, I just have to sit here and wonder, man, what are all the flavors that I'm missing out on? Like, what haven't I tasted yet? <laughs> and what I deeply find amazing is that our ability to have these five senses is, it's extraordinary. The way that it works the way that they all work together in order for us to gain a perception of or a sense of our environment and a sense of our world, it's just, it's dope. It's dope. <laughs> taste is one of the most exciting senses we have. Today, we're going to talk about how taste is important to human health, happiness, and how it works. My episodes never end the way that they should. <laughs> never as planned. But stay in. I'm hoping that I can inspire you to be one with your taste buds for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> Cheers, listeners. Welcome back to Culturally Buzzed, a podcast where we talk about anything and everything culture in relation to your health behavior. My name is Sarah. I don't know why I say we constantly. It's literally just me on the mic, but it feels a little better to not just have to say I <laughs> for some reason. Today, I am super excited to talk to you about something so cool and so part of our natural ability to just exist. But I want to take a side note and talk about the COVID vaccine. A lot of you might be wondering whether or not to get it, whether or not it's worth it. And obviously, I'm not here to tell you what to do with your body. If anything, the fact of the matter is you have complete autonomy over what you want to do. And I just would like to at least speak about what I went through so that you are at least a little bit more um, educated <laughs> on what's going on. So I had the first vaccine... Um, very, very early. First vaccine, very, very early. And I waited the, the allotted 28 days 
in between. But the first vaccine, other than my arm being sore for like about four hours and having maybe like a little bit of a fever for about two or three hours, I didn't have any symptoms after that. The first vaccine, it went smoothly. It honestly kind of felt like I didn't get a shot at all. And then the second vaccine, 28 days later, completely floored me. Like just... I am so ashamed to say it. I've never had a vaccine cause so many different symptoms in me. But the first is that the first thing was that at I think about three hours in, I was already starting to get a fever. At six hours, my arm was so sore, like so sore that I couldn't even move it. Like from my shoulder down to my thumb, it was just so painful. I, I could not move my arm whatsoever if you asked me to like hold something with my hand I could make like a fist but I can't I couldn't lift anything or drop anything or move you know in any way shape and form without it hurting and um so that was that was the thing that was a little kind of uh scary because I've never broken a bone before but it kind of almost felt like I had an entire arm that I couldn't use and I'm not saying that it was paralyzed in any way, shape, and form. I can still feel temperature. I can still feel touch. It just, if you were literally to ask me to prop my shoulder up to my ear and put it back down, I wouldn't have been able to do that Um, because the inflammation was that bad. Uh, And that was like six hours in. So naturally, I texted my uh, boss, told that person I cannot be there tomorrow. And I took the day off the next day, which I'm glad I did because... Um, as soon as I woke up, so I went back to sleep around eight or nine o'clock, woke up at 12, texted my boss <laughs> and then went back to sleep. Didn't wake up till about eight 30 the morning, the morning after. And I got to my bathroom and I completely blacked out, fainted. And I, um, it took me about 10 minutes to kind of recuperate and get up. Um, but after that, there wasn't any sort of, um, any sort of severe symptoms like that. And I did also call some people, uh, through my health insurance to try to figure out if this was normal, if I needed to get myself to a doctor or anything like that. And it turned out that the vaccine that I chose specifically was the vaccine with the most amount of, the most amount of symptoms for people my age. And, uh, that, yeah, that was kind of just a little more, (laughs) Uh, confusing than I thought it would be because the vaccine, I, the first vaccine just, I, I didn't get any sort of symptoms. So the second one for it to be that severe was kind of, um, worrying to me. But again, uh, the person at least was kind enough to tell me that I didn't even need to, that I didn't really need to go to the hospital or anything like that, but just to monitor my symptoms. Um, other than having like what felt like hot flashes, a whole lot um, for about four or five days after that. Uh, most of my symptoms kind of subsided. My ability to use my arm is not at 100% yet, actually, believe it or not. I can't pull or push anything uh, without it hurting, but at least I can now kind of um, lift it in any way and, and move my hand and move my arm and, 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 you know, like do a little bit of yoga and it doesn't feel so bad anymore. But um, I just wanted to kind of mention this because I feel like there's a little bit of an ethical guideline when it comes to vaccines. The fact of the matter is when you are trying to make medicine that is supposed to help the entire 7 billion people on this planet, some people are going to have 
unfortunately, some different side effects. And I'd like to kind of reiterate that it's not the vaccine that's bad. Even though the symptoms are because of the vaccine, it is really just the way that your immune system is responding. Um, I think I would also like to say that at the end of it, I'm not here to tell you to do something that you're not comfortable with. So if you don't want to get the vaccine, I, I completely and totally understand. And if you do want to get to the vaccine, I just want you to know that there you should try and go for the option that has the least side effects for your age, your general health, and your ethnicity. And it's weird to say that ethnicity is a big part of it, but it is actually very true. There, I did actually read up on some studies that said that if you were a female and African-American, that you were probably going to have more side effects than your Caucasian counterparts. And that's just so strange. And I don't know why that is, but I think you know, every person's a little bit different and there are some people who I talked to who like had barely had any symptoms. Their symptoms went away after three days. Mine took about a week or so. It's actually almost, yeah, I think I got the shot last Monday and I got the, the shot last Monday and it is officially Wednesday of, a, no, it's officially Thursday of a new week. So it's been, yeah, it's been a little while and it's been a little while and I'm still feeling the side effects. I'm very, very fatigued, but, um, so a couple of pieces of advice going into it, make sure that you are completely hydrated. Do not approach the needle. Do not approach any sort of vaccine without a little bit of water, at least in your system. You're going to need it because you're going to get that fever. You're going to start sweating. And it's going to be, it's going to be a little brutal. Uh, sorry about my family members out there. They're just, they're just talking, talking the way that they talk. And as much as I would like to say that it should be easy for everybody, there is evidence coming out that depending on your age, you might, <laughs> it's my sister barking at my dog. Anyway, the point of the matter is you have to understand that if you are somebody who's actually a little bit younger from 30 to about 18 from 18 to 30 you are probably going to have severe symptoms because your immune system is at its best so far and um someone who's a little bit older like 50 or older you're probably not going to have as many symptoms so you can probably go for a vaccine that um has a booster shot i wouldn't necessarily recommend the johnson and johnson one but again it's your choice your commitment and your ability to discern for what you would like to do for your own body and um another piece of advice after you get the vaccine for both of them actually after you get both doses please make sure that you give yourself at least 48 hours to recover you're gonna get chills you're gonna end up feeling like really tired the muscle soreness is gonna be incredible i want you to make sure that you have enough space to rest, to feel safe, to just let your body heal. Because at the end of it, as I'm sure you've noticed in some other episodes, that rest actually really helps increase your body's response to immunity. And on top of that, will help you create as many antibodies as possible. And yeah, it's just going to be super amazing. Once you get through it, you're going to feel like a superhero, I promise you. But um just as long as you can, just try not to stress yourself out. Okay, so we're going to move on to the topic of the 
episode. Oh man, I'm so excited. I am, and I'm just gonna preface this with the fact that uh, I'm having some trouble with my editing equipment, uh, my editing program on my computer for some reasons, not necessarily creating a lot of, uh, it's just creating a lot of gaps where the audio should be deleted and it sounds like silenced uh, seconds or minutes. <laughs> And so I'm going to try not to edit this one as heavily as possible. I'm so sorry about the extra sound and stuff like that. I will do my best to try and um, be a little more cautious about how it sounds at least. But for the most part, since I have, I'm having a little bit of trouble with the audio, I'm going to try my best to um, get through this as quickly as possible. I'm sure you guys hear some background noise right now. That is my mom's water pick because she's brushing her teeth right now. <laughs> My family's quite embarrassing, but also very funny and cool, and I love them so much. Anyway, time to get the topic at hand. Um, today we're going to be talking about taste. Taste is super important, but why is it worth our fascination? I think it's worth our fascination because it is a part of who we are. It is a part of how we are able to perceive the world around us, and I think food is a very important topic on its own. But the ability to taste food is quite a wild ride. And I think that a lot of people tend to see it as something that is just, you know, obviously something that they've been a part of, that's been part of their lives for a very long time. It's, you know, people taste things. That's just what they do. They taste things. They taste food. But it's important, I feel, because for the most part, I think it, it's been part of my self-love journey to explore tastes that I've never tasted before but also once you find something that you might like it's just it kind of like strengthens your ability and your trust in yourself and I think that's just like a huge part of being able to use your senses as much as possible I actually um I'm on this app called quilt I don't know if anybody's heard of it but it's literally q-u-i-l-t I recommend that you download it. It's a really cool app. And so far, it seems like it's just people from New York and California that have uh, downloaded the app. But essentially, just like people uh, hosting like small, like talking topics. And people, anybody could speak. And all the listeners could kind of just stay and listen in, but anybody could essentially speak. And the cool thing about Quilt is that uh, it's reminded me a little bit about self love. But most importantly, it's also reminded me about, you know, in the depths of my depression, I actually wasn't really using my senses properly. I wasn't really breathing very well. Um, I, I think I would go days where days, days and days and days where my breath was really shallow. I wasn't, um, I wasn't seeking out food that made me feel comfortable. I was just seeking out food that just, you know, filled me up for a second so I didn't have to deal with the hunger. And more importantly, I wasn't watching, I wasn't looking, I wasn't seeing things that uh, inspired me. And it kind of almost seems like taste, like your five senses in general, you're supposed to be able to use them, you know? And we're, we live in a world right now where like everything's put through like a logical barrier or like a logical filter and you should only just use your brain to look at things. And I've come to the conclusion that a lot of people feel very unstimulated. I don't know if that's the word per se, but less than stimulated is what I'm trying to say. And I think a big part of it is using your five senses as a way to gain a little bit more clarity, but also to gain a little bit more of like a footing on depression, for example, or even anxiety. I remember 
at a certain point I was uh, suggesting if you have anxiety that you should use this rule where like you can look at like see there's like five four three two one method where um you find one thing that you can taste two things that you can smell three things that you can feel um you can see you can touch four things that you can see and I forgot what what the number five was but I think it was here five things that you can hear or maybe four and five were switched but that it 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 proves to be scientifically proven over and over and over again to be one of the best sort of things to do with coping with anxiety and I think a big part of it is because you are using your senses the way that they are meant to be used and so today we're going to be talking about taste because that is a sense that we were given and I think it's so important to stop overlooking it um yeah that's it I'm, I'm just gonna get off my soapbox right now and start reading my notes but still it's I think it'd be it's it's a deeply amazing part of who we are and I think would love for people to start to accept that and and grow into it and more than anything explore so many different options when it comes to taste so yeah okay here we go so as always I think we live in a distracting world of course you can find your peace you can find your balance you can do your centering rituals you can be around people who you love who make you laugh but I think a big part of why this world is so distracting is because there's so much of it. There is abundance all around us. And it's, it's, it's really, there's enough magic to go around. And what I find to be completely amazing is that we are given these five senses in order to understand and perceive the world around us. And today I want to talk about the sense of taste because it's really important to human health and happiness. So why is this topic worth fascination? Again, I think it's always important to hold a bit of curiosity towards understanding ourselves in a deeper level. Sometimes it's as easy as picking a small part of who we are and then just running with it. Each one of us has the ability to taste, thankfully, and we can all taste differently. And even though the earth naturally grows these lovely food items... It all boils down to chemistry, which is such a cool thing. The molecular component of food and how our physiology is equipped to sense these components is everything. It's where all the magic is in this episode. It's kind of literally a small glimpse of a world that... I don't know how to say this exactly, but it's a small glimpse of a world that exists within us <laughs> and okay so we're going to talk about the physiological aspect of taste we're going to talk about something kind of awkward but not really we're going to talk about the physiology of the tongue now the tongue I'm sure you've noticed that there if even if you look in the mirror that there are these bumps on your tongue and some of them are different sizes and, and some of them are different sizes in different places and so those pumps are not actually those bumps are not actually called taste buds they're actually called papillae papillae I think that's how I say it p-a-p-i-l-l-a-e <laughs> and each one of them contains a set of sensory cells that are called your taste buds so taste is what is perceived by the brain when the sensory cells communicate to your central nervous system particularly in parts of the brain that have to relate to food or gustation for example and smell and there are different types of papillae and they all have 
different amount of taste buds, which I thought was like so rad. There's a fungi form or fungi form or fungi form. I don't know how to say fun. I don't the G part. It's just the G. The, is it GIF or GIF? Is it fungi or fungi? I don't know. But anyway, the point of the matter is these are the predominant sort of papillae. There's probably about 200 or 400 on your tongue specifically. And each one of them contains three to five taste buds. Then there's a circumvillite, circumvillite, I don't know how to say words today, (laughs) but these are larger and they're found at the base of your tongue where the throat begins. And even though every person has about seven to 12 of these, each one of these contains like thousands of taste buds. And then we have the folate uh, and these are located on the rear edges of your tongue. And every person has about 20 of these, and these contain several several hundred taste buds. And last but not least, there are also filiform papillae, and those don't actually have taste buds. Those are specific cells that are responsible for the sensation of touch on your tongue. And so I guess a big part of like understanding the science behind things is asking why, why the form things come in create such efficiency why do they work this way and essentially like a lot of people have kind of come up with this question like why is there different types of papillae um and first I think each one of them varies in size and I think that also means that that increases the surface area on your tongue and your tongue is kind of like a small spot and So our ability to taste like a variety of different flavors at once really relies heavily on all of these different chemical components hitting the sensory cells as fast as possible, as much as possible to facilitate taste. And therefore, like a variety of these different papillae in various sizes helps us to optimize the amount of surface area on our tongue. Um... And of course, the the filiform papillae probably help us notice when food is physically touching our tongue so that you're just not like blasted with the taste right away. And I think that can also help us sense your ability to like use your tongue in a specific way so that you're not really biting down onto it. Hopefully, I've done that a couple of times where I bit down on my tongue and it's always really painful. But I think it also helps you kind of feel, you know, the, the ridges of your teeth the top of your, um, the t- your top palate. Um, it also helps you kind of move the food around so that way you can kind of uh, take advantage of chewing as much as possible and uh, just digesting as much as possible. Um, so how does all of, how do all of these different things kind of wrap up into how we can taste? And Super cool, super simple. I'm going to try to break it down as as simple as possible because it really actually isn't. I think a lot of, (laughs) probably a lot of like the uh, science people who are listening to like, no, this is not actually that simple, Sarah. But I I feel like it is. (laughs) So your saliva is the first part of the digestion process. And actually, that's a little debatable, possibly. Because the fact of the matter is uh, your sense of smell also kind of triggers your saliva to produce a little bit higher than it usually would. But essentially your saliva is the first part of digestion where when you eat something it starts to kind of break down like the medium and small molecules enough so that you can actually taste it. 
and these small molecules come into, I guess in a sense, these taste pores in our taste buds. And these molecules then bind to the receptors at the entrance of these taste pores. And when the binding occurs, it starts to create like a different, it starts to change the shape of the receptor and it creates a receptor potential. And then when that receptor potential reaches a, a certain threshold, it creates an action potential that triggers along the neurons and then creates a neurotransmitter release in the brain. So I know that seems like a little, a, a little like all over the place. So we'll talk about it all over again. Okay. So you ingest something, put it in your mouth. <laughs> the saliva does its thing. It breaks all the kind of like the small molecules and the medium molecules so that you get to taste what you are eating. And essentially taste is when all these kind of small chemical components hit the taste receptors in your taste buds. And these taste receptors start to kind of change shape and up to a certain point it, they change shape so much <laughs> that, they, that it triggers an action potential in your neurons, your central nervous system, and then that communicates to your brain the type of neurotransmitters to release, essentially. And so, as you can tell, taste is like one of these really cool things where uh, there's, a, there's a really big part of your brain that is dedicated specifically to taste. But also taste is like really tied into smell. And I think that taste is like, again, it's like one of those senses that is like so important because it kind of ties in a lot of different ones. Like also if you see food, you start to smell it and then maybe you also start to kind of salivate a little bit and it just creates this like uh, cascade effect really of like all of these different things happening in your body so that you can ingest food. And I, I don't know, I've, arguably I think it's like why we continue to eat food because we can taste it and it kind of creates this kind of like pleasure cycle in a sense where we can taste the food and it creates all these neurotransmitters in our head and then we get hungry again and then we know what to do. We know to just go grab some food. Um, okay, so we're going to go down to how taste is important to health. Now health is, as you can tell, such a weird topic to talk about especially these days because the word health seems to be charged it seems to be like what are people thinking when it comes to the idea of health and I have to kind of tiptoe on what I recommend to people and what I don't recommend to people but health is important because or taste to health is important because you do actually have the ability to put a specific food substance in your mouth and taste it fully and realize whether or not it's got nutrients in it for your body. And what I mean by that is you can, you have, I think, different receptors in order to taste the following items, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and savory. And so when you taste something sweet, for example, sweet is, uh, those carbohydrates are usually found in fruits, natural sugars, and usually we're attracted to those items that are high in sugar because it helps us store energy for later use. And as much as I would like to say, if we take away all the processed food, you know when you put something into your mouth, whether or not it's sweet, whether or not it's bitter, whether or not it's sour, but ultimately 
you start to kind of, you have this kind of innate reaction of whether or not you would like to ingest the food or spit it out. And so all of these different receptors really help us find all these different kind of flavors in a sense so that we can gain a bit more understanding of what our body is lacking in nutrition. And so when you taste salty, for example, um, minerals are salty. Uh, potassium, magnesium, sodium, all of those different things. And sodium on its own is very, very helpful in the efficiency of action potentials and the ability for your central nervous system to communicate to everything else in your body and vice versa. And so to be able to uh, say even when you're craving salt, that it, it, that's actually even something that's innate in you that's really important for you to pay attention to because it could actually be that you are very much low in sodium or you need a little bit more potassium or magnesium or you know the list goes on and on but essentially when you taste anything salty the minerals that kind of communicates to your body that there are minerals in what you're eating uh, next is bitter and that's bitter is usually found in plants uh, but it can also indicate toxicity. So I have noticed that if I taste something that's a little too bitter, I actually don't want to like further eat it. <laughs> so that's really cool. I want to like rinse off my mouth or something like that. And so that's also like a really cool safeguard. That's just, again, innate in us and something that's so a part of us. <laughs> There's also sour. Um, and sour is, something I think like a lot of people start to develop the taste for it as they get older. I know that as a kid or as like a child, when somebody gave me something sour, ugh, it just tasted horrible. I did not want it in my mouth whatsoever. But now when something tastes a little sour, I'm reminded of like vitamin C and um, I'm reminded of uh, like orange juice, you know, something that tastes sour, but essentially it kind of communicates to me acidity but it also communicates to me immunity health and I don't know how I know that but for some reason I kind of almost feel like if I was out in the wild somewhere something that would be sour would probably would strike my interest when on days where maybe I have a cut that needs to be um needs to be healed if I have in some way shape and form like um a cough or a cold I usually go towards like sour tasting things for some reason and um yeah so again I think that's just like kind of an innate response that we shouldn't you know stop denying in a sense and then savory savory is something that communicates to your body that there are amino acids protein rich foods and um I think you may have heard it is called umami and essentially savory foods are ones that it's what, like literally what you're craving when you want a protein bar <laughs> or when you want to go get a burger or a steak or something like that. Um, you're, it's really just like the amino acids and the fatty acids even um, that you're essentially tasting. And I think that's really cool too. Um, so I think to recap here, because I feel like I trailed off a little bit. To recap here, being able to taste sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and savory is like a big part of our ability to gain nutrition. And at that point, our bodies know what to do with that nutrition. And that's like probably a whole different podcast altogether. But essentially, being able to like taste all these different things is really important to human health because we get 
the ability to gain all this type of nutrition just by the fact that we know that things taste differently from each other. And so how important is the sense of taste to happiness? Um, I think that's like a really cool question to ask, but because essentially though it's like tiptoeing on, and this will be covered in, in later episodes as well, it's kind of tiptoeing on people's ability or people's relationship to relate to food. But essentially food actually contains compounds that can influence the type of neurotransmitters made and released through the bloodstream. So I think at a certain point, like a diet tailored to your body's metabolic needs probably leads to a healthier you. And when you're a healthier you, you are more likely to experience happiness and make better choices in many, many, many forms. Um, And I think that means that you're more likely to turn to foods that reinforce pleasure and help increase neurotransmitter activity in the pleasure sensors of your brain. Um, You're probably also more likely to associate feeling good with a specific taste or food item. But I think food is such a big part of our culture. (laughs) I think food is such a big part of our culture that it, like certain tastes bring memories back. And certain dishes help you kind of reminisce. Like you kind of feel pride and joy and like comfort and overall abundance and happiness when you remember eating alongside friends and family. So I guess to inspire you to get in touch with your sense of taste, I looked up some really cool traditions that other cultures go through that revolve around food. And I know Armenia usually gets a really bad rap, but... Armenians have this really cool thing, this tradition um, around weddings and bread. Um, The bread is called lavish. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but essentially it's this uh, flatbread that is made in a specific way. And there's like a ritual to make it happen. And there's a group of people that do it together. And then this bread (laughs) gets put onto the shoulders of anybody who's getting married. So like the female, the bride and the groom in order to, in order to kind of indicate like prosperity. And I thought that was really cool because it, you know, it was a simple thing as bread in our culture or in any culture, really the simple thing is bread is like sustenance. It's food, but it's also, it indicates like the ability to, it it just indicates so much (laughs) I don't really know how else to explain it. Just indicates a lot of, um, yeah, prosperity. It just indicates a lot of like good luck and good fortune just to have bread in your house. And I, I don't know if that's something that anybody's caught on, but yeah, that's honestly how I feel sometimes when we have a lot of bread. I'm like, yes, we are thriving. We're doing so good. <laughs> okay. And so the next thing, Japan, Japanese food. I think is so rad the way that it's done. But essentially, and I don't mean any disrespect to the culture whatsoever. So if I'm saying something wrong, please correct me. But there is a deep respect for nature and a deep respect for how dishes are prepared. They're not just thrown together. They're done in a specific manner in order to honor the tradition and the historical cultural background of that specific food and I think it's called washuku I don't know how to say it exactly w-a-s-h-o 
K-U. It's got four different elements. There's usually cooked rice, a soup, and a, like some side dishes to give flavor to the rice, and then some Japanese pickles. But essentially, it's like all these different elements coming together in order to facilitate a tasty experience. And I think that's so, so damn cool. And also, something that I grew up doing a lot. Uh, so there is this really cool kind of uh, cultural... I don't know how to say it exactly, but there's like this, (laughs) there's this culture around food, especially when you grow up um, inhabiting most of the Mediterranean culture and life, (laughs) Um, particularly Spain, Italy, Portugal, uh, Morocco, Croatia, Cyprus, and Greece. Um, It's, it's kind of cool. Like there are all these different like small dishes prepared with a few ingredients and few fresh ingredients. And you prepare enough to share. And um, I think they're called tapas if, uh, if anybody wants like the uh, Americanized version of it. <laughs> but they're called tapas. And essentially what it is is that you have like food and all these different plates. And then the, the food gets kind of passed around and stuff like that. But essentially you're sharing with a bunch of people. You're not just eating it on your own. And you're surrounding yourself with people that you love. And you are having a memory and experience alongside the food in I think, honestly, that's, like, the most golden thing in the world. Um, Okay, and then there's also this hawker food culture in Singapore. Uh, Singapore is extremely, like, a multicultural nation. And and it kind of almost seems like the way that I read it. There are these hawker food centers where, like, it's, like, literally community dining rooms. Like, space where people of many different cultures and backgrounds could eat together. And I think that's really, really awesome. And let's talk about, obviously, everybody's favorite type of food, pizza. (laughs) So uh, the Italians have a specific uh, tradition for uh, making pizza and teaching people how to make pizza. Um, I think for the most part, it's passed down from like an older generation to a younger generation. Um, But ultimately, um, it's not like in these really big cooking culinary classrooms that the information gets passed down. It's like literally in people's houses where you get taught how to make pizza. And I think that's just one of the most amazing kind of traditions to have because it's, it's, it's a more intimate situation, but more importantly, you get to have kind of a, a connection to all the food that you put onto the pizza. Um, even the way that it's, even the way that the pizza is prepared is, is kind of like a ritual on its own. It's you've got to basically make the dough ball and then you flatten it out and then you kind of uh, make the crust. And I think there's a specific word for the crust even. <laughs> and then you add the fresh ingredients and it just seems so simple. And so traditional. And I think that's very, very cool. And what? Oh, okay. So there's this thing in Uzbekistan. I don't know if you're ever going to go there, but if you end up going there, it's called Palov. Palov? I don't know if I'm saying it right. P-A-L-O-V. And it's literally like a mixture of rice and spices and vegetables and meats and maybe raisins and berries. But it's cooked in like a very large pan and it's meant to serve like enough people for like a funeral or uh, a wedding, about at least 100 to 200 people. 
and people just gather around and eat this one dish and it's like a hundred people at a time and that's really really cool I thought that was awesome oh and also in Paraguay there is this type of tea I don't know how to say it so I'm just going to spell it t-r-t-e-r-e-r-e <laughs> and apparently it's an ancestral drink in that South American nation of Paraguay it's prepared with a blend of herbs that each have like some sort of medicinal property to them and essentially you don't just have this tea on your own you make this tea and you share it with people you value when it comes to their friendship to their to the respect you have to the solidarity that you have for them and again it's just this like ritual of like sharing things and and tasting it and experiencing all that so I thought that was really cool too anyway just a few passing notes because I'm kind of over my time this was only supposed to be 30 minutes but again I think it's very important to remember that sometimes the simple pleasures in life involve us being present and enjoying the moment as they arrive and leave and sense of taste is an important part of the human experience and I invite you all to try cooking something new order something new off the menu share a meal and make more awesome memories it's yeah it's just a great experience and I know we can all use a little bit of a, a pick-me-up when it comes to 2020 and how far we're so deep into this pandemic and things are looking up and I love you guys. I'm so glad that you're still here to listen to me talk about things and geek out completely on um, things that just make me feel really happy. And yeah, being human makes me feel happy and definitely being able to taste things makes me feel happy. And again, I invite you to go explore safely with the use of your tongue, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, thank you for tuning in to Culturally Buzzed, a podcast where we talk about anything and everything culture in relation to your health behavior. I am so happy that you're here with me. I am so happy that I get to talk to you again later. Please stay tuned for the next couple of episodes. Uh, again, it's like part of the self-love break time. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, our relationship with food and my relationship with food. And I'm going to hopefully talk to a couple of my friends about it too and I hope it resonates with you. And if it doesn't, you know, obviously take what you want and leave what you don't want. There, I said it. It's out in the universe. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Be free to be you. I will talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>